800, and I love singing it. You would open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Our text this morning is John 3, 1 through 15. Please hear the Word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of, of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, as we have read this glorious portion of Your Word, so I pray that You would give us wisdom by Your Spirit. Help us not only to understand what is um, has been read, but also help us to look unto Jesus, because everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. We pray in His name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm remembering last week, um, standing up here, and I appreciate everyone's prayers. Uh, feel much better than I did, even though I've still got just a tad congestion. Sure, I'm not. I, I know I'm no longer contagious. John chapter three has the distinction of being, of course, the most well-known, most beloved, and also the most misunderstood chapter in the whole Bible. I've been looking forward, actually, for years and preaching through the Gospel of John just so that I could preach through John chapter 3. In fact, next week I'm preaching on John 3.16. I expect that I'm going to turn your understanding of that famous passage uh, right on its head. 
And I want to encourage you, and I normally don't do this. I don't know if I can ever remember doing this. But I want to encourage you to bring your family or friends uh, next week who've never fully understood the love of God. We're going to see a picture of God's love next week that is so glorious, so gracious, and so beautiful. That it that it exceeds our our mind's ability to grasp. But even before we get to verse sixteen, we've got to look at these first fifteen verses. These first fifteen verses also uh, has an issue that is very misunderstood and needs to be turned right back on its head. And so I want to deal with this issue, this issue that's commonly misunderstood. Uh, right out of the gate this morning. I want to teach you a very important theological statement. And the statement goes like this. Regeneration precedes faith. Now, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you all to respond in a sermon, but I want you to say it with me. Uh, regeneration precedes faith. Once again, regeneration precedes faith. Okay, what does that statement mean? Well, of course, regeneration means being born again. So in this statement, regeneration precedes faith. It means that being born again precedes or happens before one has faith. Why is this distinction important? First of all, it's biblical. Um, I had on the front of the bulletin where I normally have the quotes from Valley of Vision, I included a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he uh, says, hey, people don't like it, but it's biblical. And it is a biblical statement. Uh, in our passage, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So being born again precedes or comes before one being able to see the kingdom of God. Or again in verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so, regeneration or being born again precedes or happens before one is able to enter into the kingdom of God. And this is in keeping with what Jesus says elsewhere. In John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so Jesus is saying, It's impossible for anybody to come to me unless the Father initiates, unless the Father draws that person to Christ. Uh, John 6.65, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And we could look outside the teaching of Jesus. We could look throughout the entire Scripture and see this same emphasis that in order for one to have faith... God has to work in them. God's work precedes our faith. And the reason I think this is uh, misunderstood 
is because uh, by most people, you, you, you've seen on the on the football game somebody up in the behind the goalpost. You know they have the the sign, you know John three five or John three three, which you know basically what they're saying. You must be born again. And people have this idea that you must have faith in Christ in order that you can be born again. That what you do fits you uh, or, or uh, makes you uh, able then to be born again. But see, that's to turn it on its head. Because as Jesus says, there's nothing you can do that God has to take the initiative. That God has to regenerate you. God is the one who causes you to be born again. So then you can see the kingdom. So then you can enter. So then you can have faith. The issue is, as we learned last week, when we looked at John 2, uh, verses 23 through 25. The issue is, outside of Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. We're unregenerate. Or to put it another way, we are so willingly rebellious to God that we are unable to come to Him. And we would continue in our rebellion. forever unless God grabbed us and changed us, regenerated us. I'm trying to decide whether I want to use an illustration or not. I, I mentioned it, might as well. Um, if there were a casket here in front of us and I started preaching to the person in that casket, and I started making all kinds of offers to that person in the casket. Hey, if you'll just come up out of that casket, um, I'll give you a million dollars. Hey, if you come up out of that casket, I'll give you eternal life. Are they going to be able to come up out of the casket? No. They are physically dead. The Bible says we are spiritually dead. What do spiritually dead people do? Well, they rebel against God. And they continue in that state unless God regenerates them. We read last week from Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 5, and it says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And, it, and then the Apostle Paul explained what it meant to be dead in your transgressions and sins in verses 2 and 3. And then he came to verse 4. He says, But God made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And if God doesn't make you alive, if He doesn't cause you to be born again from the dead, from spiritual death, you will have no life in you. And you will continue in your spiritual rebellion. So this means that we will never, in and of ourselves, have faith enough to, to draw us to Jesus Christ. If we, come, if we have come to Jesus Christ, it is because He has first drawn us to Him. Here's the problem. 
We often overestimate our ability to come to God. We often overestimate our ability to come to God, which means that we also underestimate God's grace. We tend to think of our condition as non-Christians, like a man who's fallen overboard from a, from a cruise ship. And um, the man's in danger of drowning, and at the last second before he slips underneath the, the waves, someone, God, throws out a life preserver. And then the, dead, the, the person who's drowning at the last moment reaches out and grabs the life preserver. And so the picture here is of cooperation. The person falls off the, the ship, God does his part, and then the person does their part and they grab onto the life preserver. Or, or often we think of ourselves as maybe have fallen out of a three-story window. Um, we've broken our bones, we've broken our back, but we're able to crawl, just barely crawl into a doctor's office that happens to be right there um, in front of the window from which we've fallen. And once we get into the doctor's office, the doctor, or God, makes us all better. But in these two illustrations, we give ourselves too much credit. The Bible says our condition is much, much worse you could look at Romans 3, 9 through 18, or I mentioned Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, or you could even look at the whole history of Israel for all the proof you need to understand that your true condition outside of Jesus Christ is dire. We haven't simply fallen overboard and are in danger of drowning. We've fallen overboard We've sunk beneath the waves. We've sunk down to the bottom of the ocean floor. The, bone, uh, the, the water pressure has crushed our bones. The fish have eaten our flesh. Or, we haven't simply fallen from a three-story window. We've fallen from the top of the Empire State Building. And our bodies have broken the concrete of the sidewalk with our with our impact. In short, we're not simply sick, but rather we are dead in our transgressions and sins. To quote the Apostle Paul, our condition is tragic. It is dire. In fact, since we're in John chapter 3, Look at verse 19. This verse sums it all up. Jesus said, and, and remember, He's still speaking here to Nicodemus. And so he's, he's trying to get Nicodemus to understand what Nicodemus' condition is. And so He says to him in verse 19, And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the, the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see this? This is exactly what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to understand. He's trying to get Nicodemus to understand how desperate, how dire his condition really is. Even though Nicodemus is a Pharisee, 
and is a member of the Jewish body, his condition is dire. Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that the unregenerate person cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that Nicodemus is an unregenerate person. Now, this is difficult for a person like Nicodemus to understand. He was a respected man uh, in his community, a leader in the Jewish community. Um, religious body. He had a strict religious life. He was recognized and admired by his fellow rabbis, fellow Pharisees. What about you? Do you think your condition as a sinner is as dire as Jesus says it is? Have you ever believed, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but have you ever understood what you have been saved from? If Nicodemus doesn't fully understand his neediness, then why would he seek out a meeting with Jesus? Well, verse 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus. He said, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Apparently, the Pharisees had been discussing the identity of Jesus. That's why he says, we know. Uh, And uh, they have come to some conclusions about Jesus. And you will remember going back a couple of weeks. uh, First of all, to start the week, going back to to, uh, chapter 2. Uh, Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, he overturned the money table, uh, the, the tables of the money changers. He chased everybody out of the temple with a whip that he had made. Then he, uh, it says later in verses uh, 23 through 25 in chapter 2, that he performed many miracles later in the week. And so the Pharisees concluded that only someone sent from God uh, could do these types of signs and wonders. It's a pretty good conclusion, you know, if he's doing all these miracles. But there's some hesitation because Nicodemus came at night, and I've used this little line before. I'll use it again. Nicodemus is the original Nick at night. Okay, that's for the kids. Um, Nicodemus um, had this assessment of Jesus. Uh, that he was a teacher sent from God, but this doesn't impress Jesus at all. Um, again, remember chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Jesus knew what was in in Nicodemus. Jesus knew the the state of Nicodemus' heart. And Jesus knew that it wasn't pretty. So Jesus cut Nicodemus off abruptly. Even as Nicodemus is giving him a compliment, Jesus cuts him off mid-sentence. Look at verse 3. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. How uncomfortable it must have been to to be around Jesus. He has this x-ray vision into people's souls and He exposes us. In fact, I've told you many times, that's that's why I became a Christian. I didn't start reading the Bible and find all these glorious things about God that made me want to start worshiping Him. I started reading the Bible and I found myself. And it wasn't pretty. And I understood for the first time uh, the ugliness and offensiveness of my sins. I understood how big a hypocrite I was. And I remember crying out, Jesus, I don't deserve to be saved. And uh, it was from that point that Christ saved me. Because He had awakened me from my spiritual death. He had regenerated me. He had drawn me to Himself. And He gave me spiritual eyes to see the kingdom of God. Gave me spiritual eyes to see, really, just how great a sinner and how offensive I was to God. And so Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's quite a statement Jesus is making in verse 3. He's telling this Pharisee, this leader in the Jewish ruling council, that he is so blind spiritually that he cannot even see the kingdom of God. You haven't entered it, Nicodemus. You can't even see it. You are so blind spiritually. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Jesus is not telling him this because Nicodemus has the resources in himself to be born again. He's telling Nicodemus this because he is trying to shatter Nicodemus' self-confidence. In verse 4, Nicodemus shows himself to be just as blind as Jesus says he is. He asks, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? There's a couple of ways we could read this. Maybe he's asking a legitimate question. I tend to think, based on Jesus' response to him, that Nicodemus' questions suggest that Nicodemus is questioning Jesus' competency. He's saying to Jesus, you're saying something that just doesn't make sense. You don't know what you're talking about. So Jesus told him a second time that he must be born again in verses 5 through 7. But he uses different adjectives to describe what it means to be born again. So verses 5 through 7, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I told you, you must be born again. Jesus mentions water to emphasize the cleansing aspect. But he's not talking here about regener I mean about justification. He's not talking about forgiveness of sins. What he's talking about here is he is telling Nicodemus, you have a rotten, ungodly, rebellious, hard heart. And that heart needs to be taken away. It needs to be replaced. And so he's he's emphasizing this cleansing aspect that water has. Your heart needs to be cleansed because it is dirty. 
And it is rebellious. You know, people like to say, Oh, give your heart to Jesus if that's the the best thing that we have to offer to God. Let me ask you, what would Jesus want with with a rotten, ungodly, rebellious, hard heart? That's the worst thing that you have to offer. Now, if you want to offer your heart to Jesus that He might destroy it and give you a new heart, well, that would be a biblical response. Jesus says also in verse um, uh, verses five through through seven that one must be born of the Spirit before they can enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is emphasizing the need for internal transformation, and this work of internal transformation is not accomplished by anything we can do. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And so verse 6, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he cannot crawl out of his flesh. Nicodemus can't crawl out of his flesh and into a spiritual life. Only the Spirit can give a person spiritual life. It's only Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that can give birth to true spiritual life. Nicodemus being a Pharisee and one of the spiritual rulers in Jerusalem should have known this, right? Jesus is referring directly to one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, God promised to bring His people back from exile. But in order for them to be able to return from exile, they needed to be changed. They had to be transformed. They had to be brought back They had to be born again into spiritual life. They had to be born again from spiritual death. So listen to this promise in Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 29. God says, I will take from you, I'm sorry, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your your own land. Now listen to all the references here that parallel what Jesus is telling to Nicodemus. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart um, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules you shall dwell in the land that I give to, gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God that's Ezekiel 36 and then God illustrates what this new this new spiritual life that he's going to give them he illustrates it In Ezekiel 37. Where have you recently heard Ezekiel 37? Well, we read it as our responsive reading. We read it, um, and in in our responsive reading, God is saying that Israel was a valley of dry bones that needed spiritual life. God looked at Israel, and that's what He saw, a valley of dry bones. And the passage says, and it was exceedingly dry. Jesus' reference in verse 8 to the wind blowing where it will is a direct reference to the wind of God that breathes new life into these dry bones. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he is spiritually dead and he needs spiritual life from God. 
Everyone outside of Jesus Christ is spiritually dead and needs spiritual life from God. But Nicodemus still doesn't get it. So in verse 9 he asks, How can these things be? And at this point Jesus gave him a stern rebuke. Look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus is unregenerate. He can't see the kingdom of God. He can't enter into the kingdom of God. He can't even understand the things uh, related to the kingdom of God. He can't understand spiritual things. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. He's without the Spirit. He is spiritually dead. And so Jesus is in effect saying, you've been in church all your life. You're a teacher of Israel. You acknowledge that I am a teacher sent from God, but you act as a critic to judge my teaching. Jesus is putting a finger on something that many people do, especially people who have been in the church for a long time. Religious people will often sit in judgment on God's Word. People can become so secure in their self-righteousness that they think they know it all. And that is a dangerous place to be. Look at verse 14. And we are very close to the end here. Jesus knew that Nicodemus would understand this next Old Testament reference. In fact, you'll know this next Old Testament reference as well. Verse 14, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This reference comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. The people of Israel were doing what the people of Israel did best. They were complaining against the Lord. They said, Why have you brought us out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And so in Numbers 21, in response to their complaining, God sent venomous snakes throughout the camp of Israel. And these venomous snakes began to bite people. And, and uh, people began to die. Many Israelites died, it says. And so then God said to Moses, Make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and people who have been bitten by these snakes, when they look upon this bronze snake, they can be healed. And so they, were, they looked at the snake and were healed. Here's the point from Numbers 21. They were filled with poisonous venom. The people of Israel were. But it wasn't just the poisonous venom from the snakes that they needed to be in fear of. It was the poisonous venom that was exuding from their hearts. Their poisonous rebellion against God that was, that was just flowing out in rivers from their spiritually dead hearts. 
that God was merciful and provided salvation. And so what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here, Nicodemus, your heart is filled with poisonous venom. In your heart of hearts, you hate God. You call yourself a, a, a religious leader, a Pharisee. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter it. You can't even understand it. In fact, in your heart of hearts, you're questioning me because you hate God. Venom just pouring forth from Nicodemus's heart. And so what does Jesus say? He says, just as they looked at that snake that was lifted up on a pole. So the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Verse 15. Whoever believes... Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Verse 14. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. What's the message here? The message gives us just a peek, just a glimpse of John 3.16. The message is... That God so loves people, even though they have spiritually dead hearts, even though they have hearts that are flowing in poisonous venom against God, who are rebellious and hateful towards God, who are so willingly rebellious that they would never turn to God. He so loves them that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for them. Isn't that good news? God so loved me that He sent Jesus to die for a sinner like me. Jesus so loves sinners that He sent His only begotten Son to die for sinners. And He did everything that needed to be done to save us from our sins. Not only justification, forgiveness of sins, but also regeneration, causing us to be born anew, to be born from spiritual death in order that we, by God's Spirit, might take hold of Jesus and find in Him the Savior of our sins. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that just like that serpent was lifted up to show people that they had um, poison in their hearts. So You were lifted up and became sin for us in order that You might show us that we have sin in our hearts and not only show us we have sin, but You were lifted up to pay for that sin. Oh, no love has ever been shown by any human being outside of Christ that 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 even comes close to that. Father, I pray for every person here. Remind us of Your great love. And if there is anyone here who is outside Jesus Christ, I pray that You would gloriously, sweetly, powerfully draw them to Yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.